0: I'm Nicole Matthews, Corporate America Dropout turned entrepreneur and owner of The Henley Company, an event travel and lifestyle management firm. It wasn't that long ago that I was dreading my drive to my fancy corporate job each day or felt disenfranchised with the work I was doing. In 2007, I jumped off the corporate escalator and directly into the elevator of opportunity. Today, I'm an author, speaker, educator and serial asker. I wholeheartedly believe that your life changes when you start creating your own opportunities and making big asks. Hands down, the business and life I have today is 100% the product of giving myself permission to design the life I want to live. It was always my dream to work at the Olympics. And by making a big ask, that dream became a reality. I now have multiple Olympic projects to add to my life resume. I created the Big Ask podcast to share these best practices with you. Whether you're an entrepreneur hungry for revenue generating tips or an individual restless to make a significant change, the life you want to live could be just one big ask away. Get ready to be entertained by real life stories, no filter conversations, and inspired by the daily hustle. So let's get started. This is the Big Ass Podcast. Everyone and welcome back to the Big Ass Podcast. I'm Nicole Matthews, and I'm delighted today to be joined by a new friend and a colleague, Shoshana Mitchell, who's a life coach and owner of Kaleidoscope Life. And uh, Shoshana and I uh, became friends through a nonprofit we both serve uh, on a board for. And um, as soon as I heard her accent, and she found out I was an Anglophile, I think we uh, we were a match made in heaven. So uh, Shoshana, welcome to the Big Ass Podcast.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on. I'm so excited to be a part of it with you. Oh,
0: it's It's going to be great. You're always such a ray of sunshine. So I know this, this conversation is going to be very easy and insightful. So thanks again.
1: Pleasure. It's a real pleasure.
0: Good, good. So I've had the pleasure of getting to know you for the last couple of years, but uh, just introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself if you would.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So as you say, originally from England, London born Um, I moved to San Diego when I was 30, so four and a half years ago. Um, and I guess just to kind of do a really quick overview of career and how I ended up here, I studied law at university, which I did love, but very quickly realized it wasn't a career that I wanted to pursue, um, full time. Um, I wanted something that felt a little bit more kind of, for me, I want to say, like, wholesome, I suppose. Um, And so I took the skills I learned in law and moved into working for the government in the UK to prevent um, human trafficking and help prevent sexual abuse against children. So working to support those, um, you know, investigate the perpetrators and take it through the court process. So I did that for several years. um, And then I made a real transition across into um, the corporate world uh, where I was running a business in London it was a bit like a, you know like a, a we work I suppose but it was a one-off standalone fancy uh, members club in London and that's where I met my current boss who poached me and asked me if I would help set up his current business uh, so he had a consultancy and he wanted someone to bring the culture, bring on the right people, help run, you know, overseas operations with finance, marketing, but the talent was my favorite aspect of it. Um, and we've been doing that for a few years. And then more recently have branched out into setting up the Kaleidoscope Life, which mm-hmm. is a coaching business. Um, so really helping individuals discover, not fixing anyone, there's no need to be fixed, <laughs> but really discover what it is they already have within them and Mm -hmm. how they can move that into the world to live a life that's, you know, much more fulfilling for them where they're, I don't want to say free of fear, because I don't think we're ever really free of fear, but you know, they can manage some of those fears and anxieties that seem to be um, pretty rife today. Um, But yeah, so that's, that's kind of a real quick synopsis over you. <laughs> all
0: good. So we'll definitely dive deeper into kaleidoscope life. But I just do want to circle back to your work in human trafficking, which I know is a pretty heavy topic. Um, but what do you think? Um, what conversation isn't being had about human trafficking that needs to be had? Like most people don't realize this. I think that it's such a significant. Problem. I mean, they hear that word, but they don't really understand the depth of that. So is there any insight you can give us really into that area?
1: I think that, like you say, the biggest problem is that people just aren't hearing that it's going on enough. And it's that sort of mindset of, well, I don't see it. I don't really hear it. So it can't be that bad. And actually, it's pretty shocking how right it is it is a huge it's a billion dollar industry trafficking um Mm. and it is it it's really heartbreaking i think one of the things about human trafficking that not a a lot of people are aware of is usually in the media you see the, the stories where it's a charming man and he's groomed a girl and she thinks she's going to live a great life and then gets forced into prostitution. i think what a lot of people don't realize is Very tragically, um, in a lot of developing countries, parents are willingly selling their children Mm -hmm. for this trade. They might not know it's for, um, you know, sex trade, labor, they usually think it is, but out of sheer desperation, because they have nothing, Mm -hmm. they're selling their children. And I think to us, that's just mine. I can't, I can sell my dog, you know, it's, it's really unfathomable, and I think that goes to show that we can't even begin to understand the desperation and the poverty mm-hmm. that these people must be in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, you know, it's a case of reopening. Really people need to open their eyes and educate themselves on it with anything. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not yeah. happening.
0: Right, definitely, and I know here in San Diego, it's uh it's sadly is a big industry. With us being a border city, um, it's I think we rank in one of the top cities in the United States, if I'm not mistaken, for okay. human and sex trafficking. Um, again, because of the border, um, and it's just shocking that you real that you think within, you know, you don't even know. Is it five houses for me? Is it five miles for me? Is it you know, 50 miles from me, but it's happening somewhere close to us and most people don't even know that. Um, And it's so shocking to hear those sort of statistics.
1: It really is. When you hear kind of the money that's involved, you know, the numbers, um, there is an organization called um, Outreach Underground Railroad, I want to say. They're based out of Utah and they really focus on it. And I mean, you only have to go to their website to see, you know, all the information and all the facts and how, like I say, rife it is. Yeah. As we yeah, are a border city, it's this is one of the worst places. But um it's yeah, it's it's such an education piece. We yeah. need to look at we need to read into it because sadly without wanting to sound negative, which is not you know, which isn't this person, but the facts are actually it's very much likely that something is going on in your neighbourhood.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh! It's so hard to to comprehend. So, thank mm-hmm. you for shining light on that and giving us a, even a brief education because I think it is something that people really need to be, you know, aware of, and it is amazing that it's happening so close to all of us and, and we're not paying closer attention to it. So um, well, we'll move on to something a little lighter and brighter. Um, not that that's not an important and topic, but so you moved to the U.S. Um, I know the the consultancy firm that you were with brought you to the U.S. And so here you are, a young English, beautiful English girl set, setting up shop in San Diego. Um, what was that? transition like for you either and personally and professionally what have you noticed like business-wise between the two countries um, as you've began to work in both countries
1: i love talking about that topic like the cultural differences and my experience because it really is interesting you think between and well, what i did between kind of america and england it won't be hugely different when we speak the same language which i'm discovering there is plenty of words that we have that are different <laughs> i've nearly been in trouble with on a few occasions. Um, But I think that, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on your approach when you're making a transition like that. I was 30. I hit a crossroads. I always knew I wanted to work abroad at some point, especially somewhere sunny. So when this opportunity came up, I grabbed it. And... I think that when I first got here, when I first landed, I spent the first three weeks. I kind of made a pact with myself. Spend the first three weeks just decompressing. You've just arrived, just you know, download and process everything. Process everything that's going on. But then I said to myself, after those three weeks, you're just going out there and you're just saying yes to every invitation. Mm. And you know, some work out and some don't. That's fine. You take the lessons from the ones that don't work out, but really cast a wide net just to immerse myself in the entire experience, really try to understand the neighborhoods, uh, the restaurants, the bars, all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. and so yeah I think that because of how I approached that and you know being willing to chat to anyone and say yes, it was a really positive experience moving here. everyone was very friendly. I would be in the coffee shop queue and you know, somebody behind me would start chatting to me and, or I was at the nail salon and then they became my friend and it's so friendly. I really wonder if someone were to go from America to London well, which you might be able to give experience on, yeah. Yes. they experience, because I think we're a little bit more grumpy over there. We yeah. hide, hide behind our newspaper, on the tube, on the mm-hmm. subway, um, you know, rushing and bustling around. London in particular, this is a really big city, right? Mm-hmm. Um, potentially similar to New York. But I think San Diego is just such a different harbour. warm, welcoming, friendliness, being outdoors. People are happy because... We live in San Diego. Yeah. So it was such a positive experience for me here that I don't think I would have experienced the other way around. Um, yeah. And I think that, you know, you talk about culturally, it's really hard to say America as a whole because I just think California is so different to the rest yeah. of America as well. So a lot yeah. of my experience, what I'm, where I'm coming from, is talking about California in particular. Um, but I, you know, that personally, I found it wonderful. Really easy to make friends and have wonderful new experiences professionally. There were some interesting differences. Actually, I think the business world I found working here harder and less friendly
0: than in England.
1: I know one of the first things I had to, to get around was these kind of short emails that people would send. There was none of the British, I hope you're well and had a lovely weekend. Okay, thanks, bye now. <laughs> On the yeah. email, you just got hi Shoshana, can you do blah blah blah. And I was like, Oh no, they're mad at me. Right. I really had to get used to that. But then you pick up the phone and then you have a brilliant conversation and it's lovely. But on email, it was a really different dynamic. And I was thrown. And also I think culturally business culture, it's still in my experience, quite corporate and hierarchical here. Mm. And I think people are really coming around to this idea of a corporate culture. And I'm just so big on corporate culture because work is a huge part of your life and it needs to be a productive environment. But I do think in England, there's a little bit more of a um, relaxed environment, not as, oh, I mean, you can always find different companies, there's exceptions, but not as corporate and hierarchical as we are here. You know, titles are a really big thing here. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not, it's not quite the same there. So yeah, I found the business side a bit more brash and harsh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the personal side,
0: wonderful. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, so I moved to Reading, which, you know, is a, a town, for those who don't know, is a town outside of London, about 40 miles or so outside of London, and... um I can just remember two things really mainly. The first thing was the team that I was working with, I was hired as a consultant. And so the team I was working with could not get over the fact that I would purposely choose to move from San Diego to Reading. They were like, what, what is wrong with you? What, you know, you've lost your marbles. Why would you ever come to this place that wet stuff falls from the sky constantly? And the year that I was there, the area had more rain than it had had in 200 years. So I was literally, I felt like, you know, Noah and his ark had shown up as I was learning how to drive on the opposite side of the road and, you know, all these (laughs) things. So that was always very interesting to me. And then to your point about people being friendly or not friendly. So I found during the workday, everyone was super friendly, but then everyone would go home and then I was sort of left with like, okay, now what do I do? Like, I just had to go back to my flat and it did take me a while before, um, one of the women I worked with, her family just adopted me and then it was off to the races, right? But that sort of, that that guard of we're at work or we're at home um, was very difficult for me in the beginning because it was hard to meet friends in London um, just because it felt, like you said, sort of behind their newspapers, very friendly at work, but not necessarily as friendly of like, hey, let's, you know, all get together for dinner this weekend. So that took some time to sort of break that ice, so...
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I think it's the, um, yeah, just in England, we don't so much, unless it's with key people that we know really well already, say, so, oh, let's go for drinks. Oh, let's do this. Let's do that. I actually think the weather does have an impact on that because here it's so mm-hmm. easy. Let's go for a walk. Let's go outside, you know, yeah. expect more things to do outside. Whereas in England, it was pretty rainy and miserable. The views aren't as good. So people don't really want to be outside. Yeah. Um, but I think you're right. That that's exactly. It's interesting how the difference, yeah. you know, personal side of work.
0: Yeah. That we no, definitely. Yep, 100%. But I would highly recommend, I mean, everybody at some point in their life should have to live in a different country because it gives such an interest, such a, just an important perspective. And even though, like you said, the UK and the US are not that different, they are different. Um, And, you know, then take it even at a further level of like moving to a country where that's not your native language. Um, I just think that's really important life lessons. And, And I'm so grateful for the experience that I've had working abroad. And I know, you know, for you, it's just, been it's been a huge piece of your of your life story as well
1: a huge part I just cherish it so much for really kind of opening my eyes and what else is out there broadening Mm -hmm. my knowledge all those experiences are really enriching um and I think ultimately help help you understand others and individuals and cultures and communities, which all feeds into being a bit more empathic, I think. Yeah,
0: I think um, so too.
1: You need that travel through work or pleasure to bring you yes. something.
0: Yeah, definitely. So I know during uh, the quarantine, you've been focusing on your kaleidoscope life and, yeah. um, you know, we're grateful for, I think this, this, you know, as much as the pandemic has knocked, you know, most of us to our knees at the same time, it has given us time and space to, to look at other projects. And so, um, and I think really kind of center ourselves on what work do we want to be doing? Like when, when this all goes back to quote normal, normal life, what do I really want to be doing with my life? You know, do I want to be going back to the life I had pre-quarantine or do I want to be going in a different direction? And so um, I know with you, you have a new, um, a new venture, which is Kaleidoscope Life. So let's get a little deep into that and what that, uh, what that looks like and where did the inspiration for, for that uh, new path come for you?
1: definitely I would love to just jump in because it's so funny how we keep talking about this new normal and moving into the new normal don't we and I've really been trying to not say that I'm I have been referring to I'm looking forward to moving into the new fabulousness oh very good (laughs) of what (laughs) to come because it's funny we're like a new normal like even the word normal is boring Mm. let's move into something I'm scared to say great I don't want to say let's go (laughs) (laughs) because of the connotations around saying, let's get great again or anything like that. Let's move into something new and fabulous. And so I do think this time has really given us the opportunity, um, even if we were unwilling at first, to really reflect and realize, again, you know, the old cliche of life is too short Mm. and what can I do with it? It makes people, you know, a lot of us, I think, were meandering. We were you know, okay with what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, We had fallen into um, complacency and something like this really shifts and shakes that, which I believe is needed. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, after the initial upset of what was going on and us being very resistant to the change, a lot of people have been able to reassess what their priorities are. I, I've always loved coaching. That's been my favorite part, you know, in the work that I've done and building a culture, essentially people enjoying what they do and feeling fulfilled, which has been kind of, I guess, more in the workplace. But I think if you're filled in the workplace, that spills into personal mm-hmm. time as well, which is positive. And so I've been able to really go deeper into this coaching practice that I want to do by myself have it as my own company taking the exact direction I want not have to work within mm-hmm. the framework of a corporate organization mm-hmm. so really be able to run free and wild with it
0: yeah no I think that's great and and I think what I, I've been so proud of how you've navigated you had a loss last year your mum past very unexpectedly um, and how you've navigated that grief which i know has not been easy but you continue to show up in the world as positive as you know as you were before that happened to you so i have just marveled as your friend at you navigating that path so thank you for being a wonderful example of of navigating grief but Uh, I remember a conversation you and I had about, uh, as you were back, um, going through some things of your mom's and you found some of her, her books or her writings. Uh, She was a, she was a therapist if I'm not mistaken. Right. And how you've just looked at that as a sign that your mom from even beyond was sort of helping you to find this new direction. And, and I know that gave you some energy to, um, to take on this new venture, which has been really wonderful to watch as as a friend on the outside watching you um, navigate this.
1: Absolutely. I really enjoy, which is a bizarre word to use, I suppose, in the context of grief, Mm -hmm. talking about this because I hope that it inspires others. But yes, as you say, I did lose my mom very suddenly and tragically uh, last summer and because she was a psychotherapist I was so fortunate to grow up in a home where You know, it's okay to be vulnerable. You must communicate your feelings all the time. Therapy is not a taboo. In England, therapy is a real taboo still. Mm -hmm. Very
0: different Mm -hmm. to
1: here. Um, And so as soon as this happened, you know, my mom was truly my best friend, my biggest child. Very blessed to say I had a very rare relationship with my mom. So it was a huge blow. Um, But she had truly, because of her experience of having counseling herself, becoming a counselor, um, and doing her own research around post traumatic growth she'd been like dropping these little tools in my toolbox her whole life mm. i always mm-hmm. say that if only did she leave me the most comprehensive toolkit she left me the full instruction manual <laughs> on how to use it well so i'm so lucky that i've been set up with those foundations but she was a psychotherapist like so is helping others that was in the family and i did i found this incredible book and she was an such a voracious reader. She highlights and makes notes. And I found this one book and she'd highlighted this section, which was just phenomenal. It, It was actually somebody who was passing himself, who in the later stages of cancer had written the book. And she highlighted a section that said, what I want to tell my daughter is this, I wish I could be with you on this journey forever and a day. I know it's not possible, but I so wish that it was. What I ask of you is that you take what I have started and turn it into something much, much, much more meaningful and much more magnificent. Mm. And it was just incredible to be reading this that she had highlighted after she passed. And there was this other section, you know, and it just said, the body is remarkable. (laughs) with what you can cope with. Sorry, I have some dogs. Um, you know, The body is remarkable with what it can cope with. And so, um, you know, your, your mind can heal, your body can heal. And just reading all of these empowering quotes in a book was phenomenal, and that gave me the drive. And, you know, it did shift my priorities. We always mm-hmm. say that life's too short. But I don't think you realise until a tragedy comes along just how short it is. Yeah. And so having had this experience, the lessons and the growth that I've had this year are incredible, mm-hmm. phenomenal. I always add the caveat, which is important part of my grief process, to express that despite all the learnings and the growth I've had, the sacrifice... I made for those will always outweigh any learning that I've ever made. I would sooner have my mum back and hand all those, all that back, of course. I think that's a really important part of grief is that we must remember that nothing nothing will ever negate the loss. Yeah. You don't move on from grief. You don't shrink it. You don't fix it. For me, it was facing it straight on, dealing with it, really feeling and processing these emotions and incorporating it into my everyday life now, that nothing mm-hmm. that negate the loss, the sacrifice will always be greater. And I think yes. that's a really important thing I like to say for those experiencing grief.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And grief is something that people have to move through. It's not a today I, I'm feeling grieved and tomorrow I'll be i won't have grief i mean even as you know people 30 years from from the a tragedy still can can navigate that that grief it's just a matter of how you're moving through it right and i think we often see it as this like hurdle we have to get over versus this this sort of army we need to walk with right mm-hmm. um and so it's just been as i said it's just been so beautiful to watch you you know I, of course i would you know take that grief away from you in a moment, but how you've navigated that grief and how you still continue to show up into the world, I think is such an important lesson for those who um, are fortunate to be in your life because um, you really have done it so beautifully and um, and allowed yourself to not be ashamed of grief too. Grief is not something to be shamed of, or it doesn't have an expiration date where, all right, come on Shoshana, it's been a year, get over it, love, let's Get, let's get moving right um but it's just something really beautiful to watch as you navigate that and have that become both a, a both a piece of your life and the motivation for your life as well right and now in the work that you're doing so as you're as you're um as you're working in kaleidoscope life, who are the ideal clients or who are the clients who are coming to you and and what sort of um opportunities are they looking for? I don't want to say challenges because that feels too negative, but where are they seeking for opportunities in their life?
1: So... I mainly focus on, so I say loss, but it's really important that people understand loss can cover a variety of things. So, because of my experience, absolutely, clients who are trying to navigate this new world because of the loss of a loved one. How do I get through? How do I push through? How do I find this new meaning that everyone's telling me I'll find as a result of the grief that happened to me? But also, it's loss of, it's simply like loss of normalcy, loss of direction loss of meaning and so a lot of people come and change it's really people who are are experiencing change and don't like it because a lot of us can't you know we want to know what's happening or we think we want to know what's happening if someone was to actually give you an envelope to say what would happen I don't think we would all read it you know but Mm -hmm. I think that It's really about helping people who have lost their way in whatever way, shape or form after a relationship, feeling stuck in their career, not having a job now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really helping guide and support people to rediscover some of what's so precious about them, you know, their treasure and their their gifts that they may have lost along the way and now they're realising they need to dig deep to find them in order to present themselves back in a way that they feel more fulfilled yeah. into the world so it's a big it's a lot of i talk about um so i love using the kaleidoscope analogy which is actually my mum's. it's built off her legacy or something that she created but oh. it's re, you know when you have the kaleidoscope the, the, behind, the theory behind the kaleidoscope is when you experience trauma or tragedy and it doesn't have to be the loss of a loved one in the end of a relationship is traumatic mm-hmm. Ch- any change being pregnant you know so it really encompasses a wide variety of things but i think it's really about helping people um just uncover um things they yeah things they have lost along the way yeah and yeah so yeah it, that's what it's about really shifting taking these pieces in the kaleidoscope how do we take these pieces these fragments from when you felt whole but now the trauma's happened and it's shattered but all these pieces which are beautiful it's all your core mm-hmm. when you do click of a kaleidoscope it's you know a different perspective looking through a different lens um i offer up those different you know, reframing. Um, yeah how do you integrate all those pieces we don't fix you and put you back together how you were before the trauma that's not where we want to get to it's not realistic Mm -hmm. how do we evolve and integrate those experiences it still remains beautiful and so a lot of it's you know shifting perspectives discovering new um, you know shifting old patterns discovering new ways of viewing um, and ultimately that to me is the formula for transformation shifting those Patterns, unlearning behaviors, creating new ways, discovering new helpful behaviors. Right. Right. Recognizing
0: patterns that aren't necessarily serving you. You know, it's so easy to fall back into those negative patterns or to to seek out, you know, the same the same version, you know, of a boyfriend or a relationship that you just came out of that didn't serve you. Right. And so recognizing those, you know, those patterns of you know, if, if that last relationship didn't work out and I'm now going into a new relationship that's the same guy, it's just a different address, you know, there's <laughs> got to be something on my side that, is, that needs to be identified to say, why is that so attractive to you? Um, so just kind of recognizing those patterns, I think is in, that's important work. And, and I love that analogy of the kaleidoscope because it feels like all the pieces are there. It's just a matter of clicking them. Into the right pattern for you, and that pattern might shift and change over time. It's not to say that once you click it in, that's how it should be. That's the image; it'll be forever. But recognizing that all the beautiful pieces are already in there, um, and it's just up to you to sort of create the art, right? Which yeah. is really a beautiful analogy.
1: That's exactly yeah. Honestly, that's exactly it, Nicole. It really is about you are all. You already have it all within you. Mm-hmm. Which what's mm-hmm. incredible. I'm not bringing up yeah. you anything new in that sense. I'm just helping right. you through it, find it, shape it. How do we take all this greatness that you really do already have? You might not be able to see it, but you do mm-hmm. giving them a different alternative perspective. So there's something about creating a space with someone who is not your family or your loved one or anyone mm-hmm. that you know who just gives you that different perspective. Yeah. It really kind of sits in and resonates. You know, you can put your friends can say things, and it might be that your coach says something similar, but when you hear it from someone who is independent, it just Mm -hmm. lands more meaningfully. And that's Mm -hmm. really the importance of it, creating that safe, non judgmental space where you can be your vulnerable self, be very honest with yourself and open.
0: Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, through my years of, of therapy through in different chapters of my life, I would find sometimes that as I was saying it out loud to this neutral party the ridiculousness that suddenly it would seem in my own head, you know, the, or the aha moment, it would be so clear. Whereas if I was saying that same thing, perhaps to my family or to, you know, my best friend, there's still this slant of sort of trying to justify it or make an excuse for it. But there is something really powerful about talking to somebody who you connect with, but who isn't emotionally invested in you the way that those other people in your circle are. And so I find, found that to be such a blessing of, of Of counseling or therapy throughout my life was just, it was almost like the therapist didn't even have to say anything. I was answering my own question by just, you know, the verbal vomit of what I was saying, which was so, you know, such a catastrophe before I walked in the room. And then it was like, when I was saying it to this, this independent person, it just, the ridiculousness of it or the truth of it just suddenly really became so evident. So having somebody like you, um, you know, in, in, in our arsenal, I think is just important, especially as women, as, as entrepreneurs, you know, there's, you know, as, as single women, as women who choose to have families or not have families and the pressures. And I mean, it's just a lot every day we wake up with a lot. And so, um, you know, having somebody like you and the resources you provide, I think is just a great, you know, tool in the toolbox of, of life. So, yeah. I
1: think it's that, it's the listening that's so important mm-hmm. because as much as we love our friends and family, they might not always just let us bend and just listen and hear, because like you say, the key thing is you will come to it, the answer to your, by yourself. You have yeah. the, the answer exactly as you've said, you hit the nail on the head, correct. Um, but you need someone to buy that space, and I think what happens with friends and family is, and I am different with my friends and family as I as I am with clients because we have this desire because we love them so much. Okay, let me fix it. I'm just going to jump in here. Let me yeah. jump in and give my opinion. Or this is my experience.
0: Right, right.
1: Then, oh, it's not about fixing. More often than not, nine times out, unless somebody says. Can I get your advice on this? I've got option A or B. What do I go for? Mm -hmm. I'd like a different perspective. Unless someone specifically starts with, Can I get your advice? Mm -hmm. We we shouldn't be giving advice. People just want to be heard, they want to let it out. Mm -hmm. It's up here tangled. By verbalizing it, it starts to bring some form and some shape to it, and we figure it out ourselves. But we need
0: someone to create that space for us. Right, right. And, and you know, the world is a, is a funny place now with social media and these like artificial relationships that we, that we have, or we start to measure ourselves against, you know, those images on Instagram. And why am I not for, you know, look at her, she's got, you know, X number of followers or she's making X number of dollars a year, or she has that beautiful family or that perfect boyfriend. I mean, it was like every day, it's like this measure of how am I shaping up and just to have that neutral party again somebody like you who has not lost the gift of conversation Mm -hmm. and and the ability to listen i think is a really powerful powerful tool that that i wish more women in particular um, would pay attention to and not look as a that's not a weakness to have somebody like you who can help coach them and guide them through a difficult period or transition. You know, there's, there's no shame in that, right? You know, don't seek the answers on Instagram, but seek the answers in a real conversation with a real person who can help navigate that for you, I think is really, really an important lesson.
1: And more than ever right now, because of social media, like you say, it creates such a false illusion of Mm. truth. You know, people are, so many people on social media are insecure and need to portray this perfect life. And I would say, I think it's so important as women that we are honest with other women about how what we're feeling. My marriage is tough. My pregnancy is getting to me. My, this does suck. We have to start other women, that are the truth, mm-hmm. because otherwise we'll go around feeling miserable. We think we're giving the illusion that, oh, I'm giving, it, I'm living a great life. We don't realize mm-hmm. that someone who sees that on the other side could go home and be really low about that all night. And we've yeah. created that. We don't yeah. often think about the final step in it We just think about ourselves. I want people to think I live a great life. Yeah. But I think yeah. the consequence of how have just made someone else feel. And I think if we thought about that first, Maybe we wouldn't try and create this, you know, fake world that's wonderful. And also I'm really big on authenticity. That's the number one step before you do anything. And that's about knowing who you are owning who you are and being who you are. Now the problem is it's really hard to know who you are in this world because we are so influenced by the me- social media, the media, mm-hmm. others around us, institutions, parents that we've grown up with. So much of what we do is subconscious. We just go around and we really go around on autopilot. It's actually embarrassing how little we do. It's, it's autopilot. Yeah. So a huge part of what I do is slowing someone down, really taking away that noise. What would you be doing right now if judgment didn't exist in this world? Let's say for one moment we lived in a world where judgment didn't exist. It wasn't a thing. It wasn't a possibility that anyone could comment on someone else's, you know, what they're doing. What would you be doing? And then you can start to peel back and get to the core of what it is. Who am I? What do I want to do? So much of the time we think, you know, women, I think are under pressure now to have a big career you know I love what's been done for us in that and how far we've come as women but also I think we've kind of flipped on the other end of some women who do want to be an at-home mom then feel guilty they think they need to have this high-flying career you don't want to have a high-flying career if you don't want to have a career that's absolutely fine but we've put this pressure and so it's really the authenticity there's a fantastic quote and um it just i find it really powerful and i think people need to hear it more it's in a book i'm reading on authenticity and the writer of the book says if you're the author of your story why are you giving someone else the pen
0: mm. so good and
1: i That because we are, you know, we do want to think that we are the author of our story and we should be the author of our story, but we're letting too many people take that pen and write it for us,
0: yeah. So, yeah,
1: because we're fearful of being judged and not loved,
0: yeah, yeah,
1: get rid of some of that to get you back to not feeling fearful, not worrying about that judgment and just feeling really good about who you are owning it and being able to show it into the world.
0: Yeah, no, that's, so, that's so powerful. That absolutely is powerful. So um, that segues, segues us into to books and podcasts and where do you find your inspiration and what are you reading and all of those things? Are you a reader? Are you a podcast listener? Are you, how do you absorb your information?
1: I'm a little bit of both. I think that to me, like real knowledge and perspective can only ever be found by reading, 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 you know, listening to everybody else in their perspectives, even if you don't agree with it. Mm-hmm. And so all my books now are personal growth. I heard this um Jay Shetty, who's a British coach mm-hmm. who I love, he said, Look at your bookshelf what's on your bookshelf because you thought it looked impressive and you thought you'd get around to reading, but you haven't read, get rid of them. You don't want them on there. They're of no use to you. So I threw out a load on like big, big business recruiting. Cause I fell into that trap of big money success in the corporate world. I got rid of them. They went to the little library. All I have on my shelf now is really personal growth books. So anything, there's a guy called Gary John Bishop. He's a real no-messing, no-sugar-coating Scottish guy <laughs> who I think who's pretty good. Um, I've been reading his stuff. It really just, yeah, anything on personal growth, uh, dealing with uncertainty, dealing with change, stepping out into who you are, authenticity, and my podcasts are the same as well. Yeah. So the reading and my absorbing of knowledge, it really is, a lot of it's in that space. When I'm outside of it and I'm with friends, I actually really switch off and very different. That's where I get my change and pace. But I just, I want to be, you know, learning a big part of, um, you know, again, a legacy from my mum is she had done so much self-growth. I've got a card right here on my side table that just says my entire life has been about the journey to being myself Um, and nothing is better than that and that's I want it's incredible and I just think that's what I want to do and my brother so beautifully turned around to me one day he always calls me sis and he goes sis mum completed her journey on this earth the final chapter in her story is that we complete ours and I just thought I, first of all, I thought, what, where did this come from? This isn't the brother that I know, but it's true. So really the personal growth and then being able to inspire others is such a part of it. So, yeah, it, it's all just, you know, coaching and, you know, you listen to a podcast and they have someone else on it who's got their own podcast, yep. kind of domino effect in that sense. Yep. So. And I'm really, what I'm really trying to do is when I hear something or see something in a book, I'm like, Oh, I really agree with that. I'm stopping and I'm asking myself why, because I really want to know, do I agree with it because I'm in my autopilot mode because my mum told me that was the right way when I grew up because, Mm -hmm. you know, organizations and governments tell me that's the way I should think. Or do I actually agree with it because I really genuinely agree with it? Yeah. And i read something i like, think i absolutely don't agree with that that's absurd i'm really working on putting my ego so why do you think it's absurd again is it just because of what you've been fed mm-hmm. and you have a conscious feeling towards it because that's mm-hmm. how you grow and expand yeah. and change you have to be willing to alter your beliefs
0: yeah 100 percent.
1: ensure they really are what you are
0: right yeah. And have difficult conversations. I mean, I think we're in that chapter now in society where people are having difficult conversations around race and, um, you know, gender and identity and, and um, you know, be willing, be a willing participant in those conversations as, as difficult as they can be. Um, you know, last night I, I was watching uh, the Oprah conversation. She's Got um, a new series out all around race, and she and she um, has taken to. There's a gentleman named Emmanuel Acho who's a former professional football player, and he's got a series now called "The Uncomfortable Conversation with a Black Man," and it's been just eye opening and it's a beautiful piece of television and so Oprah saw that and sort of absorbed him into to now the Oprah fold and they did this great conversation where they took white people who were willing to say here's the question I've always wanted to ask or why is it this way And it was really powerful. I mean, there was moments where you think, gosh, I didn't realize that maybe I had that bias or I thought that same way or, or anything. But just those uncomfortable conversations, I think we're in that place right now where there's so much encouragement of uncomfortable conversations that it would be a shame to not be in the game right? To not be having those conversations either with yourself or with other people who look like you or don't look like you or, um, so yeah, I, I hear what you're saying about that. That's that's really great. So in the spirit of the podcast being the big ask, um, has there been a time in your life when you've had to make a big ask and what did that kind of, what was the setup for that and what was the outcome?
1: A big ask from the universe. <laughs> yes. Um,
0: or it could be professionally. I mean, it could have been, you know, convincing your boss to move to that you could move to America. I mean, it could be anything. There's no limit on what the big ask is. It's just always something that kind of puts you in a vulnerable spot or, or kind of pushes you to do something more than just a typical, you know, a typical ask.
1: I think that actually I would probably say, um, it's been the asking for help since losing my mum last year. So I think a lot of us as women, especially, because we want to give the illusion that we've got everything together, because of the -hmm. the pressure that's put on us. Um, And so I think it's, yeah, it wasn't one specific moment, but it was when I really just had to turn and, and lean on people and ask them to be patient with me, and ask for their help supporting and ask them to listen to me tell the same story about my mom over and over again.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: because that was part of my process. So I think my big ask was really putting it out there to others, my collective community that I've been really fortunate to have had prior to have, like I say, have patience with me. If you don't hear from me, um, or you know, I don't respond as positively or as you know me because I'm struggling with patience and so on. Um, so I think that yeah, when I look back I think it was just asking for help and being okay. Yeah. With asking for help, not feeling ashamed or anything mm-hmm. like that.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's really important. It's even those small, you know, I mean, I curb it under the big ask, but it's collectively, right? It's those small little asks that you made along the way is really that bigger ask. Um, but just being honest with yourself and and saying, this is what I need to process. And this is what I need from my community of people around me as well. You know, people always say, let me know if I if I can help you. And more of the times than not, we just ignore that request, right? But just even saying to people, no, this is, you know, if you don't hear from from me or if I'm curt or if I'm not as bubbly and you know as I normally am it's 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 no reflection on you or our relationship it's just where I am you know at the moment and so I think that's a really beautiful example of that so. Great. Um, you and I share a passion for an organization called Home Start, which is a child abuse um, prevention agency here in San Diego. So um, that's been a gift. Um, and so outside of that, I know um, furry little creatures with four legs are, uh, or sometimes three legs in your case yes. <laughs> <laughs> are uh, near and dear to your heart. So what, what would you say are those causes that are, that are important to you?
1: Yeah, I think um, dog charities, you know, and I think, you know, just them not being able to have that voice or being able to express, I feel a real kind of need and draw towards animals. So there's the Soy Dog Foundation in Thailand. They do incredible work getting stray dogs off the street that have really been battered and abused. Um, you know, spay and neutering, getting them back up to as health as they can having them adopted out. They also do a, a big um, campaign against the dog meat trade in Southeast Asia, mm-hmm. which is quite significant. Um, and so one of my daughters is actually from Thailand. So I really love the Soy Dog Foundation. Um, Change for Animals Foundation based out of Indonesia. They do some brilliant work um, for animal welfare. And then because I left a career in child protection and prevention, I still needed to feel like I was doing that sort of work and that's why i kind of ended up flipping it into the volunteer side so yeah as you being on the board of home start helping those vulnerable women get a real get access to life starting really early intervention with the, the children i think it's incredible that the, the therapy services that we offer for parents and how mm-hmm. to look after kids and then giving them access to basic needs of shelter food education that sort of help um yeah. is uh important to me so uh, it's hard we want to help everything and everyone don't we, we yeah we tell do people that uh, you know I support this dog charity and they say well you know there are kids who are struggling in Africa and I know that and I wish I yeah. had the time and capacity to do it with everything but we have to choose yes. which ones we focus on well so yes. I have to in charity with Home Star, and then I have the dog star, particularly with Soy Dog and Change for Animals Foundation, and I volunteer at a couple of shelters here in San Diego yes. as well. Well, you—I mean,
0: most people go on vacation and they come back with a T-shirt. <laughs> you like to bring dogs back because isn't the isn't there one also from Italy? <laughs> Is there <laughs> another one from Italy? Yes. Okay. So. <laughs>
1: i an Italian, and I did have to speak to the Italian in Italian when I first got him. I had to give the Italian commands to, you know, for come here and enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, I always say that I was like the angel. Andrew- Lena J. of the dog world, a dog from every (laughs) nation. I can't help myself. It's
0: terrible. I know. Well, that's just, that's because you have so much love to give to the world and we all, we all benefit from that. So, all right. Well, this has been a great conversation. Uh, We always end every podcast with uh, rapid fire questions. So these are just intended to be fun. First thing that comes to your mind, no judgment from me or the listeners, Um, just whatever is is just rapid fire. Okay. So there's 10 10, there's ten questions. Oh, so first, first question is title of your lifetime movie.
1: Title of my lifetime movie.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, I'm overthinking. Um, oh gosh. Um, title of my lifetime movie. I'm something with dogs. Dog- <laughs> I can't think. Um, <laughs> but it's something to do with this obsession with dogs. Okay. It's not coming to me now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. If you could change places with any celebrity right this minute, who would it be?
1: Oh, gosh. Any celebrity right this minute. Um, do they have to be alive? It be,
0: no. It, it can be real, fake. It can be a cartoon character. It doesn't
1: matter. Oh, that- um, I am actually Martin Luther King. Ah, oh, very good. Okay, that's mm-hmm. a good one. When do you feel happiest? Or oh, when do I feel happiest? Truly, when I have my dogs around me, um, and really when the, uh, those who I love are succeeding. When my my friend, my best friend, just passed the bar, and I was in floods of tears for hours afterwards. I was just oh. So when they're yeah. happy, um, yeah. And in my contemplation.
0: my dogs oh that's awesome okay if you were running for politics what would be your biggest campaign promise Uh, it's not it's not like you haven't lived in the United States during the biggest circus of our of our history (laughs) of our country so my
1: biggest promise would be um to follow through on the promises I'm making (laughs) yeah
0: that's a good one right that'd be nice isn't it
1: (laughs) uh right okay
0: Ultimate dinner party, which four guests do you invite and why? And again, they can be alive, dead, fictional characters.
1: I would 100% obviously have my mom. And actually, I would have my mom, my stepdad, my brother so that we could and me, so we could just have a lovely dinner, with the four of us again.
0: Yeah. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> All right. Right this minute, you have to get a tattoo. What do you get and why? <sighs>
1: I would get, I would probably get something of a kaleidoscope to solidify the journey that I'm on.
0: (laughs) Yes. Good, good, good. Okay. Biggest pet peeve in business.
1: In business. When companies say they have a good culture and they don't, they talk a good story, but they're not walking it.
0: Yeah. Good. Okay.
1: What is your wish
0: for the next generation?
1: Oh gosh. There's a lot of them. Um I wish for the next generation that people had to were only able to accurately portray what was going on in their life in social media.
0: <laughs> yes. Good. All right, good, good.
1: Um, when does your light shine the brightest? It shines the brightest when I am around others who are helping to turn the brightness level up with this and their help.
0: Okay, good. All right, last question. What is your big ask, either personally or professionally right this minute, and how can we help you?
1: My big ask would be for everyone to go away And really think about one truth within themselves that they have almost been lying to themselves about, but they haven't been brave enough to look at and discover. And I would ask that they own that and Mm. take that out there and just even if it's just that one change that they implement, but dive deep. What is something that you really like, that you really want, um, that you've been hiding from the world through
0: fear. Yeah. All good. Well, Ms. Shoshana, thank you so much for saying yes to my ask. When I asked you to be a guest on the podcast, it was wonderful to spend this last hour with you. So thank you so much for your wisdom and your continual bright light, because there is not a person who isn't, in the room with you, who just feels like they're a better version of themselves, thanks to the the gifts that you share and just the energy you bring to everything you do. So, continued success to you on your journey with Kaleidoscope Life, and I can't wait to uh, to be your biggest cheerleader on the sidelines. So, thank you so much, and we'll look forward to our next episode of the Big Ass Podcast.
1: Take care. Thank
0: you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Big Ask Podcast. Like what you heard, subscribe to, and share the podcast with your friends. And be sure to connect with me on social at Miss Nicole Matthews or at Big
1: Ask Podcast.
0: Until next time, let today be the day you make a big ask.